Welcome to the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. On this podcast, let's step aside from our busy lives to have fun, fascinating, life-giving conversation with inspiring authors, pastors, sports personalities, and other influencers, leaders, and followers. Sit back, grab some coffee, or head down the road, and let's get the good and gold from today's guest. Here's Jeff Pinkleton, Executive Director of the Gathering of the Miami Valley, where their mission is to connect men to men and men to God. Hello, friends. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast, where we like to talk all things kind of life, leadership, lessons. We'll dip into the world a little bit of leadership, of pastors, authors, comedy, sports, you name it, all things that are for good conversation. And I'm really blessed. I feel like today's conversation is going to be good because I'm with Sam Rayner, who is really, we've, we've spent a lot of time <laughs> trying to make this thing happen between looking on your calendar online form and church schedule, and you, you really live a, a disciplined, I think, stay in your lane kind of life. So Sam, I, I really appreciate you making time and joining us today. I'm honored to be on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. So let's uh, let's jump. In. I like to jump in first to kind of talk testimony. So tell us kind of your three or four minute version of before you knew Jesus, him drawing you in and, and kind of taking it from there. Yeah, well, I appreciate the question. You know, I came to Christ around seven years old. So there's not a whole lot of life before Christ. I was really blessed to just grow up in a family that was a Christ centric home. And the gospel was taught often. My mom and my dad, you know, since I guess I was old enough to hear, were telling me about Jesus. And I mean, it's it's really just a, a boring testimony, which is, a, in my view, a good testimony. Uh, you know, that, that give us more boring testimonies. I want that from for my children. So I, yeah, I remember sitting in church one day and my, my dad giving an altar call, kind of old school, uh, you know, Baptist way of doing things. And I just remember thinking in my head, you know, I need to, I need to accept Christ. And I really felt the spirit pulling at me, you know, whatever that means for a seven-year-old boy. And I remember, the, but I do remember the thought. I remember the thought of when I was walking the aisle, I remember thinking, you know, I'm not walking to my earthly father. I'm walking mm-hmm. to my heavenly father. So I, you know, I went down front, I remember my dad crying and all this stuff. And I remember thinking, why are you crying? You should be excited. And I was baptized there shortly, uh, shortly after that. And uh, I've been really following Christ ever since. I had a few little bumps in the road between uh, 16 and 22, as a lot of people do, but uh, never really strayed too far from the faith. And, you know, God's just kind of been a consistent presence in my life. So, you know, just a a pretty boring testimony. I, I wish I had something more dramatic that was better for radio, but I don't. Well, and, and I love that. I mean, I, you know, I kind of have somewhat of a similar one. And, you know, I kind of hoping that, you know, for my kids, they're at, my kids are 19, 17, 15, 13, and wanting them, you know, to kind of like you said, not have kind of a boring testimony so they don't have to endure a lot of heartache, pain, or whatever. But, yeah, I, I like how you made the distinction. Like, you, you felt drawn by the Spirit. You talked earthly father versus heavenly father. Kind of go there a little bit more. I mean, when you're in ministry, when your dad, Tom, is obviously clearly known in a lot of Christian circles. I mean, he was the president of Lifeway. He started Church Answers. Were you were you with Church Answers, which does a lot of church consulting, church growing, developing a church work? Were you there from the beginning with him, or did you come in a little bit after? Yeah, I was. You know, we um, we started Church Answers when he retired from Lifeway. And by the way, I was 25 when he went to Lifeway. So there's this whole, you know, yes, my father is well known. And he's written a lot of books and I feel like he's done a lot of good for the local church. 
but there, there's, you know, there's this whole, my whole time growing up was, you know, him being a pastor of a small church and, you know, struggling to get by and, you know, all of that. So, you know, my childhood was spent, you know, in small churches, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida was the one that was most prominent in my life. So, uh, yeah, dad's done a lot of good. I'm really proud of him, but yeah, he didn't, he didn't really quote unquote, make it big until I was, I'd been out of the house for, for seven years. <laughs> so my perspective of him is a little different than, than perhaps other people who read, read his books. Well, I guess, let me ask you um, this. So with, with, you know, and your brothers are doing significant stuff in ministry too. When you, you know, we talk about, we, at least I say this a lot. I think for most people, your view of a heavenly father is greatly seen through the lens of your earthly father, for good or for bad. I mean, if you got bad stuff, it's going to taint your view of God potentially. If it's good, hopefully that enhances it or whatever. Kind of weigh that out in your life, Sam, even growing up. But even now, earthly father for you, heavenly father. When I get to heaven, is God going to say, pull my finger? Because that's what my dad does. And <laughs> and I don't, you know, I don't know that God will do. I do, I do know this. Uh, I think the most underrated characteristic of God the Father is his sense of humor. Mm. You see it in the Bible. Amen. And I think the the thing that God will do more than anyone anticipates when they get to heaven is laugh. Because, la you know, every human emotion is ultimately rooted in who God is. And, and laughter and levity and fun and joy are all rooted in God himself. So maybe that's what will happen. I mean, maybe that when I get to heaven, that's that's where I'm going to see the you know the the image of God uh, through my earthly father is God's just gonna gonna look at me and say hey pull my pull my finger and then he's gonna laugh but you know God is spirit you know I maybe maybe that won't happen I don't know so with having three boys you know you got you got two brothers is that right or not yeah. okay so <laughs> yeah. you and your two brothers your dad and, and so we're in a similar boat that way uh, I've done a couple trips with all three boys I try to do a decent number with them individually or taking one of them with me with the guys in my ministry I do stuff with you guys get away now and let's say you drive up to North Carolina you go north you know towards Asheville mountains it's beautiful maybe near the Billy Graham training center what is a weekend with Rainer men like when you're together for say a three-day weekend what would that time look like you know some godly men pursuing the Lord but being men father sons together well, if it's with my dad, we're all working. So we're all writing, working, podcasting. Uh, that's fun for us. Now, we all kind of have our hobbies and some things that we enjoy. And I like to fish. I like to hike. Uh, I like to, to do some off-roading myself. Uh, you would never get my father doing any of that. Mm -hmm. He is very much the indoorsman and very much not the outdoorsman. So... Yeah, I would say we'd probably all sit around and talk about business ideas and create a new business plan and start a new business. <laughs> That's what we do. We got an entrepreneurial side to us. So it would be us conferring with each other on, uh, on starting either a new division of the company or starting an another company. Uh, those, are, those are how a lot of our conversations go when we're all sitting around the table. So you just can't get me past the whole pulling my finger thing, saying that to God, and then you talk yeah, about laughter or something. You guys got to be cutting out. I, I know you were asking a spiritual question, <laughs> and I very intentionally because I don't know you um, yeah. other than just our interaction. And, and so, yes, I was very intentionally. It's, yeah. it's, it's. I'm still drinking my coffee, and, yeah. and I just had this thought in my head. You, you ask me about heavenly father and earthly father, comparing yeah. the two. I said, well. I know, I know my dad, and I don't know if God's like that or not, but maybe he is. So I just had a thought. I'd never had that thought before. So 
I may have to bring that joke. It's heard first time here with wow. Jeff. Uh, I, you know, the I'm grateful. The world's it. worst joke about God. That that's that's what I just did. Yeah, I'm curious. I've been I've been working with my youngest son. We're going on a, a father son retreat this year to Montana that I've done with my other two boys. And you know, we I talk a lot in my world uh, as I you know connect men to men and men to God with the gathering. We talk about our identity is everything. Like the baseline for everything with everyone, whether we're pursuing Jesus or not, it is. It is identity. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, when, when you look at your life, Sam, you know, you got, um, you're a child of God, you're a pastor, senior pastor, of West Bradenton Baptist Church, one of the top people there, I forgot your exact title, at Church Answers, you obviously enjoy spending I'm time. I'm president, but you know, who's, who, who's who, count, cares? who cares about titles? Yeah. President, CEO, king, master, servant of all, whatever. No, no my dad's the CEO and he's the boss man. That that's that's how it goes. He just he was just nice enough to give me a title to yeah. to make it sound sound good. So neither one of you use the title servant of all. In, in no. A, okay. I, I'll, <laughs> no. I'll create. The, I'll help you create that position for someone. So um, all right. All you're right. obviously a writer. You got a, you got a new book out about church revitalization. So church consultant, family guy. When I throw out titles like that and things you're tied to, where do you struggle with identity? What does that look like for someone in your place in life, your roles and responsibilities pursuing Jesus? Where do you struggle with your identity? You know, I, I, like, I like where you're going with this because I think anyone who's honest with themselves will, will struggle to some degree. Now, some will struggle much greater than others with who am I? I, I would say maybe 10 years ago, it was, you know, do I want to stay in the shadow of my father or do I just want to completely do my own thing. And I think in my 20s, I just said, I'm just going to go completely do my own thing. I went into business. Um, I was in banking for a season. I did uh, futures trading on the New York Mercantile Exchange. So I kind of went a whole different path. You know, I was in the energy world as an energy consultant, very much not connected to the church, at least professionally. I was connected as a church member, but had no desire to be uh, in the church world, certainly had no desire to be a pastor. Uh, no desire to do, you know, church health, uh, you know, work or anything like that that I'm doing now. I very much wanted to to stay in business and struggle with God, you know, calling me into ministry. Thinking I don't, I don't want to do this. Now I love it, of course, and I would never go back. Um, so I would say in my 20s, it was more, you know, I, who I don't necessarily want to be in the shadow of my father. In my 30s, it was learning wait a minute, he's, there's a lot of value here. I need to, um, I need to learn and learning from him. And now it's more of a partnership and, and, uh, just being in business with my dad. So that's part of it. And then the other part of it is just being a pastor. So not even talking about the relationship with my father, just being a pastor and then realizing, I don't know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, something like that, where I just, you know, I just got to, my own personality shine as a pastor. Mm. I can't try to be the personality that the people of the church want me to be because they don't want me to be something different. And so I have to just be who I am. Now, you know, there is a sense of being above reproach, leading, uh, diplomacy, uh, setting an example. So you don't, as a pastor, you don't just get to be whatever because that could lead you down a place where you do some things that are inappropriate. Sure. But I just had to say, you know what? I don't like wearing a tie. Mm. I 
I'm a big baseball fan. I collect baseball cards. I'm kind of into watches. I'm, I'm nerdy in that way. I'm co-vocational. I'm an entrepreneur. I, I have to do this business thing. And I have, you know, I have to be, I have to be a pastor of a church that's comfortable with that and willing to let me have some time to do some entrepreneurial work, which, which means certain churches are going to look at me and go, yeah, we don't want that guy to be the pastor. And that's okay. So I just, I just had to come to the realization that God has called me to do certain things, have a certain personality, I have a certain family. And for the most part, all of those things are good and God given. And, and I just learned to embrace them. So I would say I struggle less with this idea of identity now at 42 years old uh, than I did, you know, when I was in my 20s and my 30s. But I think that's also a normal progression for for somebody. I mean, you hit 40. Most people either you, you go down this road of a, a midlife crisis. And my wife likes to joke because, you know, being a watch enthusiast and that's not what this podcast is about but she, she you know i watch i watch youtube videos of people manufacturing watches like that's how deep i am into this and it is probably the most boring thing on the planet but i find it fascinating these people can produce these little machines and i've just had you know you're talking about identity you know what? i enjoy that i embrace it you know i like fishing as well and learning how to tie all these new knots and stuff and you know it, it, it's just stuff like that that i enjoy the little the little things the little details uh, that just make the difference, whether you're fishing or whether you're into watches. And you know what? That's just who I am. And I've just learned to embrace all that. And some people will get it. Some people won't. I just got to be, I just got to be okay with it. So identity is really, obviously you find your identity in Christ and, and that's, in the, but he gives you this variety, this flavor of personality. And, and when you try to be bland, meaning try to appease to everyone, you just end up not being yourself and you yeah. end up in a really bad place when you do that. Yeah. It's interesting what you say because you know, I'm 52, and I think as I get older, I, I definitely resonate with what you say about becoming more comfortable in that. I love the old Dove commercials. They use like Shaq and Tom Izzo from Michigan State and Kirk Herbstreet. And they would, at the end, they would say a tagline like, you know, my name is Sam Rayner, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. Or I'm Jeff Pinkleton, and I'm comfortable in my own skin. And I, I definitely relate to that. But with my kids, my kids are a little bit ahead of yours as far as age. I do find I struggle a little bit more than I would have thought with like, okay, I'm Alex Pinkleton's dad. I'm Leah Pinkleton's dad. I'm Kara Pinkleton's husband. And really embracing that sometimes a little bit more than maybe what I should as far as being healthy. Is that something you struggle with at all, like with kids or, you know, with Aaron as far as like getting a little too caught up maybe in who they are or, or you know, when they, when they do something well, like, oh, okay, that reflects on me or, ooh, that didn't go so well. That reflects on me. Yeah, I think every dad that's a good dad has those issues because you want to invest in your children. And anytime you invest in something, you attach yourself to it, whatever it is. I mean, that could be a financial instrument, that could be a job, but it certainly needs to be a family. I mean, if you have a family, you need to invest in being a husband. You need to invest in being a father. And when you do that, yeah, you do find yourself attached in ways that can be helpful and attached in ways that aren't helpful. So I certainly resonate with what you're saying. I don't struggle so much with living vicariously through my children. That's just not a, that's just not a struggle for me, but where I guess I do struggle is this idea of, you know, their success in life hinges upon my investment. And that's true to a degree, but it's also not true hmm. because they need to find themselves yeah. in Christ. Yeah. And the best thing that I can do is to disciple them as a father, to disciple my family, for my wife and I to be in relationship as a husband and wife, but also as a discipleship relationship. And, and we all know 
marriage is sanctifying, right? I mean, if you want to be sanctified in the Lord, Amen. get married and pursue marriage in a way that honors him. And, and you will be sanctified one way or the other. And your wife will make sure that you're sanctified if she's a godly woman. So, you know, there's, there is always this tug of war in our relationships, particularly within our family. And, and I think where the balance, and I don't like balance so much because balance implies one, one ways on the other. And, you know, people have to say they want to live a balanced life. And I'm like, I, I get what they're saying at the spirit of what they're saying. But balance means that when one area gets pushed down, another area gets pushed up and they're always kind of battling each other. I like to just think of harmony. Mm. And our, I think the better word is harmony. And we need to live a life in harmony with God's will, which means being a dad, being a husband, doing your job well, whatever your job is, and, and not trying to think that one wins at the expense of the other because our relationships are not a zero-sum game, yeah. to use a financial analogy. It's not a zero-sum game. One doesn't have to win and one doesn't have to lose. No. Everything can harmonize together. And I think that needs to be the pursuit of a godly man, is how can I pursue harmony in my life to where all of these things are working together for the glory of God? You know, it's interesting you, you mentioned the balance, and I like how you used harmony. I was going to ask you about balance versus passion. Kerry Newhoff talks about passion and kind of whatever you're doing, that's the passion kind of in the moment versus thinking of it with balance. I'm curious, do you, do you live a life where you would like think in ministry, think in family? I mean, I, I, you guys do some fun stuff. It's fun on Facebook. I, I like when I get to see people, whether I know them real well or not as much, you know, if something comes up on a feed and like, you know, you went to, I think a lightning, uh, one of the Stanley cup final games, I think, if I remember correctly. Go Bolts. Yeah. yeah no, you, you went to I, uh, I definitely splurged. And when the Bolts were in the Stanley cup finals, I certainly took my wife to, to a game. And my whole family, we're going to a lightning game this week at the time of this recording. So in a couple of days, we're going to be in the stands all the way up in the nosebleed section with sure. kids and cheering on the bolts. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm, I'm hoping for a back-to-back-to-back to back to back wow. Stanley Cup. That'd be awesome. Well, don't you just pray for church people that come to Christ and come to your church? Don't you just pray specifically for some lightning and race season ticket holders to end up in your church? And- oh, you know— Listen, or start listen, doing we got a bunch of Lightning fans. We got a bunch of Bolts fans. We got some, we got Bucks fans too. I, I don't follow football as much, but we got a, we got a boatload of, I mean, Tampa Bay, man, this is Tampa Bay. This is, this yeah. is, this is, this is sports town. I mean, everybody, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun here. Yeah. Um, I can't say that it has always been fun when it comes to our sports, but it certainly is now. We're, we're having the time of our life. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I'm a big fan of all of them. Yeah, no doubt. So do you, do you try to incorporate a lot of ministry and fun and family and kill several birds with one stone when you can, like, you know, going somewhere and going to a game or something and trying to include a, a ministry piece of that with your kids? Cause I, I remember asking a young guy years ago when he graduated from high school, his dad wanted me to get me and several other guys to get with him individually and just kind of share some life experience, some wisdom. And when I met with this kid, I'll never forget it. I said, look, I respect you as a kid. Your dad's a great friend of mine and I respect him, but this is probably going to be more for me than it is for you. And I remember saying to him, what do you wish your dad would have done differently? If you could look back and you could change anything, what, what do you wish your dad would do differently? And he's a great man of God, significant kingdom, impactful kind of guy. And he thought about it for a long time. And I'm getting mad. Like, come on, tell me your dad did something wrong. Come on. And he finally said, I wish my dad would have brought me into his ministry world sooner. And I thought, I'm going to remember that. I'm going to, I'm going to do that with my kids and, you know, try to incorporate, of course, doing a men's ministry. I can take my three sons here and there on retreats, but do you try to combine worlds and see the win-win stuff in that or, or for privacy? I do. Yeah. There's a lot of bleed over crossover, you know, whatever term you want to use there. 
you know, we go to a, we hang out a lot with church members. Sunday afternoons are typically spent with church members as a family, our family with other families. Uh, and, and I know for some that may sound like a burden, particularly for pastoring a church that's got difficult people in it. And I've been there. I've certainly been there where you've got, you know, you've got a lunch with somebody and you're like, I just don't want to do this. But for us right now, where we are in the in the life cycle of our church, you know, these are wonderful times. My kids are friends with this other family's children. I mean, we we do a lot of discipleship life together. We do a lot of fun together. We're at ball games together. Our kids are playing sports together. You know, we music that there's a whole nother scene. Um, I'm not as skilled in music, but you know, my kids are doing a little bit of music with, you know, their friends and it's all church slash family slash everything. It's all melded together. And for some, that's a challenge because you're in a challenging church and that that's just tough. But as you get through the toughness and on the other side of, of unity, which needs to be the goal of every church, you find that it's a very beautiful thing. So I would say, yes, it's very difficult to know where is fun beginning, where is ministry beginning, where is family beginning, where do all those things end? I mean, I think if you're doing life well, there is a, a kind of a, a meshing together of things. But you also need time away. You also need time with just your wife, yeah. just your kids. You know, there, there's, there's got to be maybe not balance, but harmony, like I said, and all of that. And, and I'm always looking for ways to incorporate family into church. Church is a family. And my, my family is part of that family. And it needs to be a healthy place for them. Yeah. And they need to be a helpful part of the church as well as members that puts them in an odd spot because, you know, they are the pastor's family and there's always a, a level of scrutiny that comes with that. Although I will give West Bradenton credit. It's not bad at our church at all. In fact, our church handles that very well, but yes, I would say that I do try to blend them together. I, I'm not so intentional about it where I'm saying, Oh, this is my strategy for the week, but I think it just ends up happening. And I think that's healthy. I think it's healthy. You know who seems really good at that? I'm pretty sure you know him probably pretty well. He worked for your dad for years, Zarek Geiger. I've talked to him a little bit, and then I you know, read his stuff or whatever, and he just seems to really understand that balance between, you know, like a lunch date with his wife in the middle of the afternoon versus when he's putting in his time balancing, you know. And I like how you use harmony a whole lot better because I'm with you. I think the word balance is kind of goofy. I want to go to something that you said that, you know, I'm going to consider you're probably an expert in in a world that I think is very difficult. When you're a senior pastor, you've got to, I hate to say balance, but you've got to weigh in preaching, leading staff. You know, sometimes executive pastors do that more than senior pastors. Strategy, there, and you know, you obviously have a business background, you said, with with banking, which, man, you're, you're a godly man for having been in banking. I did it for a while too, and it was not my thing. I got out pretty quick, but, or they got, they got me out pretty quick, let me say that. And then also you, you did some energy stuff. So maybe you've been set up well and prepared for all that. But I mean, those are some very different hats that guys like you have to wear. What does that look like? How does that play out very well? Where is that difficult for you in your current position there, Sam? Yeah, I mean, being a lead pastor is walking a tightrope. So you might say balance in that case is probably a pretty good word. There's always people that want you to do certain things. And they don't always have bad motives. I mean, sometimes they have good motives. They're just misguided. Sometimes uh, there are people in the church who are more mature than you. I certain that, you know, I became a pastor when I was 24 and I was bivocational for quite some time. And you know, that may sound impressive, but the church had six people, did not have air conditioning. They had just created a throne room, which meant that the outhouse was no longer and that they actually had a bathroom. They called it the throne room. 
Amen. So, I mean, it, it, you know, I know what the throne room is theologically, but I also know what the throne room is at my first church and how much they adored their throne room and how proud of it they were. So, you know, I, I've been a pastor for a while, but you also have to understand, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I've, I've pastored those struggling churches, particularly in my 20s. And, and you get pulled in a lot of different directions and you got a lot of opinions and, you know, you're in a very visible position. And I would say this, if you're uncomfortable with being in a fishbowl, like if you really abhor that, you don't need to be a pastor. Like you just don't. And, and often when I'm coaching people who are called, you know, I'll tell them that. I'd say you need to prepare yourself and you need to prepare your family for being in a fishbowl. Because, and everyone's going to be looking at you, you, you know, if you, if, particularly if you're in a small town and you're a small town pastor, you're to, everywhere you go, everyone's going to know you. And, and, and if you can't deal with that, then you, then you shouldn't be a pastor. And that being said, it's also unfair expectations of the pastor that the church has many times. So I realized that there's a, a pull both ways there, but it is a lot of balancing. It is a lot of, I'm on a tightrope and how do I get across this cavern without falling um, and I've, I've got the winds that are blowing me around and um, you can experience a lot of heartache in, in ministry, but I would say that the church is worth it. And I would say that the, the fight is worth it. I would say that the joy is worth it. I would, I would say that if you're called to ministry, this is something that the best way I know how to describe it, I think is what my father told me. And I think he, he got it from someone else is, is you'll know you're called to ministry. If you, if you just can't, you know, if this is all that you can do, it's, it's like, I can't do anything else. And, and I, and I took that journey. I took that journey for through, through banking, through futures trading, through doing some, some really exciting stuff. And by exciting, I mean, I was doing energy right after the fall of Enron and, you know, I was in my twenties and had all these opportunities, like, cause it was just this wide open world after it was a complete mess, total chaos. And it was a blast for the few years that I was there. So I have seen some other things and I just kept, God kept tugging me into this world that is the church. And I've had opportunities to do some other things outside of the church. And it's just like, I can't, mm. you, you could offer me a million dollars a year. I'm not going to take it because I feel very much called to do what I am doing. And I think that, you know, you keep coming and calling's a loose thing, right? I mean, it's, you know, what, what exactly, what does it mean to be called? And I don't know that there's a lot of debate about that, but I would just say at your core, you know, you just know that you got to be doing this and you fall back on that. And, you know, you're going to experience a lot of heartache. You're going to experience some joyful times and you just got to know that God's God's with you through it all. I like the way you, t- you talked about calling there. I, I, I tend to tell people for me with what I do with men, it's really more about need. Calling is definitely there, but I tend to look at need. Where is there a need that nobody else is doing something about, that I feel like I can put my, you know, hat in the ring. God's gifted me or, or called me. And then that's when calling comes back up. Another thing in that that I think is really important, and I don't know how well you know, I'm guessing maybe you guys have crossed paths over the year, Bob Russell, who was a longtime guy at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. And, you know, Bob wrote a couple books. And in the one, he really talks about in his life and in his world where location was everything. He felt like God had really called him and Judy to set deep, long-term roots in Louisville, Kentucky. Based on what we talked about already with Tampa Bay, and you call it Tampa Bay, and you know you, you originally were in Florida, how much, what, how much does location play a part for you? Like With your business background, I think about a guy like Ron Edmondson, 
who I think you know, who, you know, was in business, did some different things, ended up pastoring at Emmanuel Baptist Church, did some different things, still in the church world, but business kind of did a lot to prepare him for that. And, and location seems to mean a lot for him. He's been on like Salvation Army boards or chamber boards or whatever. Where does location speak to you when you think about the kingdom, Sam? Yeah. So, loca- so I, I look at calling in, in, in kind of a, a tiered approach um, or d- maybe some different categories, maybe not tiers. So there's some who are called to a position. Like, I just know I'm supposed to be a lead pastor or student pastor or lead a nonprofit or whatever it is. Like, I, I'm called to a position. And wherever that position takes me is wherever I will go. Um, there are some who are called to a particular church. It's like I am planting my roots in this church, whether I am, you know, a volunteer or whether I am the lead pastor, whatever role, whatever authority I have, I'm called to this church. And I've seen that before. Um, I'd say that's less typical, but it's certainly a form of a calling. So you have position, you have church, and then you have the location. And the location seems to be, to, to me, to be the more prominent way God calls, but not the only way. So you, you just, some people will say, I know that I am called to Rwanda. I know that I'm called to Sydney in Australia. I, I just, I'm going, I'm getting on a plane. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I, I don't know what's going to happen when I get there, but that is where God is calling me. And we see that pattern biblically where God, uh, what he tells Abraham to, to leave some very specific things behind. And then he says, you need to go. And it's basically like, go where? And he says, you'll figure it out when you get there. So I think that location is a key part. I think family plays a key part in your location. If your spouse is not called, you're not called, period, full stop. I mean, do not drag your family around all these different locations if they're not called. And if your spouse is saying, don't do it, well, your spouse could be wrong and you could be right, but you're wrong if you just muscle your way through it. So I think location is a very big part of what God does in your life. I don't think it's limited to location because I've moved around some. I don't necessarily want to move again. I'm a Florida guy. I fit the culture here, man. I mean, it's bizarre. It's weird. Everyone's a little quirky. I fit right in. Do you eat dinner um, you know, at 4 I'm, p.m.? I'm a happy, bizarre kind of fella here in the land that is Florida. Uh, particularly if you get south of I-4. The, the further south of I-4, it, or, Orlando starts the weirdness. <laughs> and then the further south you go, the weirder it gets. Mm. And the more bizarre. By the time you get down to the Everglades, man, you got the skunk ape. You, you, and then the keys. The keys are just a world unto themselves. So, you know, I love this place. I don't really want to go anywhere. But if God said, you, you, you need to move to another location, I would go because he told me to do it. But it, it would it would be hard. It would be very hard. So location is a key part. But I would also put in there a position. You know, sometimes you're called to a position and sometimes you're just called to a church and you're just going to you're going to stick it out in that church no matter what. I think a lot of church members have that kind of calling. Mm-hmm. And again, we're getting into what is calling. And I'm, so I'm using that very loosely, not specifically. You know, I, I think a lot of people will just say, I'm, I'm going to stick with this church no matter what. And I think that's a wonderful thing to do. I think you, we need more church members like that. Um, I know I've got some here. And whether I'm here or not, whether I'm a good pastor or not, they're here. And I think that's, that's, that, that's the best kind of church member. You know, I love about the way you talk, Sam. And I really sense this in your writing as well. I try to read 
with some regularity your your blog that's out on Church Answers on a weekly basis. But you you seem to come at things from a very positive perspective. I really like the way at which you go about things, things that could be a easily a whole, holy frustration or things about the church or, you know, how the body operates. You could, you know, it's, it's sometimes easy to take shots at the church, even, you know, not in a deconstructionist kind of way, just in, you know, the church is flawed. And, and you really seem to come at things with a very positive, hopeful, um, you know, I've seen you write articles about, like, I know I've seen you write ones about uh, what's good about small churches. And then you'd write one about what's great about big churches. And then, you know, everything would have that kind of good, positive, you know, like what you just said about the church members who are there no matter what, whether you're there or not. Before we get to something else here real quick, any thought on that as far as kind of your positive approach on all those sides to things? Pessimists are not leaders. A pessimist can never lead. If you are a pessimist, you are not a leader, period. You're not. You have to be an optimist in order to lead. So the whole point of leadership is to take people to a better place. If you're a pessimist, you're just assuming the worst is going to happen. So, you know, a dose of realism is good. You know, no one wants to be a Pollyanna. Um, You know, you don't want to put rose-colored glasses on and just say everything's fine when it's not. You know, that's not leadership either. But the whole point of leadership, and that's, I am called to be a leader. I don't know if I'm a good one or not, but I'm, I'm called to lead people. And, you know, the whole point of that is, guys, we can get to a better place. Yeah. And let me help show the way to a better place. And if you're not positive and you're always negative, all that you're doing is either you're keeping people in a place that they don't need to be, they're not moving forward, or you're taking them to a worse place. And, you know, I understand that there is a need for critical, you know, eyes. I understand there's a need to some degree for cynicism But if that is your posture, if that is your lifestyle, now there's times when I have to be negative, right? Where I have to just be prophetic and just say, you guys have lost your minds. You're nuts. And I I mean, it's time for the kick in the pants ministry, right? I mean, sometimes there is a kick in the pants ministry and sometimes you have to do that with your own children, right? But the whole, the, the reason behind that, the reason behind a prophetic voice, the reason behind discipline is to move people along. So you enact discipline in order to be able for the positive message to shine through. And it's called good news. Mm. It's not called bad news. Mm. So last time I checked, God's an eternal optimist, so I might as well be too. I don't like those who are constantly criticizing, who are building a platform on negativity, who champion this idea that their cynicism is somehow going to make a difference in the world. I don't, I don't think people like that are helpful at all. What, whatever field they're in, forget the church. I mean, whatever field they're in, how on earth can you move people forward to a better place when you're constantly pushing negativity upon people? So I do believe in looking at things positively. And even when things are bad, trying to ask the question, what good is here and how can God's grace shine through this? So yeah, I will, I will always be an unashamed and unapologetic optimist because I think that that's how that I think that's what the world needs right now. And frankly, I don't think the world ever needs negativity. No. When I check the fruit of the spirit, I don't see negativity there. I don't, it's not like, you know, faith, joy, love, kindness, negativity. It's not there. So where in the Bible can you say that God wants us to lead negatively? In fact, when I read the old Testament, it's, they complain, they complain, they complain, they complain. And then the Lord's anger burned against them. And he sent fire down to burn out the remnants of the camp. 
So I, I think a posture of complaining is a good way to get God's wrath exercised mm -hmm. on you. I love your passion, what you're sharing that. I'm going to nudge you that in a coming blog, you need to write about the kick in the pants ministry. I want to see you write <laughs> that blog that post. That one might give me a trouble. No, <laughs> you, you'll have a way to spin it positively. So I heard a, a ministry leader at a conference share a couple years ago, and he had a quote that I remember looking at a friend of mine, and we're kind of stumped. And we thought about it for a moment, and then we're like, I think he's right. He said, in a room of people, whoever has the most hope has the most influence. And it's a guy named Steve Backland. And I just thought, wow. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Write it, write it down. You might want to use it in the kick in the pants ministry blog post <laughs> that you write. So Sam, we're going to transition. I like to do these things called the rapid five, five questions. They're short, they're sweet, quick response, a uh, little fun here. So growing up, what was your favorite childhood snack or cereal? Lucky Charms. Okay. That one's been had before. Yeah, sure. I, you know, it's funny. I never got into Lucky Charms, but I know... That's big for a lot of people. So it was a special cereal. Like we, we grew up, we didn't have a whole lot when I was growing up. We had very, very little. So to get marshmallows mm. in your cereal, I mean, that that's over the top. That that's that that's a good day. There that's a go. very good day when you get marshmallows in your cereal. Okay. <laughs> you ask, I'm just I, sure it just popped in my head. Yeah, I love Lucky Charms. I still love Lucky Charms, although I can't I can't eat them like I used to. I used to eat like three bowls, and if I did that now, I it would not sit well yeah. <laughs> throughout the day. So. Aaron might have something to say about that. Maybe that's the uh, the thing that gets the ball rolling on that uh, trip in the woods uh, in North Carolina with you and your brothers and your dad. So what's your favorite book you most like to gift to other people or you would like to gift oh to other people? Oh, goodness. You know, if it's a, if it's a leadership book, if I'm teaching a class or if I'm you know talking to other leaders, I really love reframing organizations, which we're, we're like, we just completely bored your entire audience with this, but <laughs> not at all. Uh, it's one of the most influential books on me when it comes to leadership. It's a textbook. So it's, it's not, it's not easy reading, but highly, highly influential on me. And if it's a new believer, I've always loved the Lakato book, you know, John three sixteen. Mm. It, it's just so basic, but basic in a good way. Yeah. And, and, you know, if, so if I was talking to a new believer and, and they're, Hey pastor, what book should I be reading? I just accepted Jesus. You know, that's a book that I would, I would point them to. So I know that's kind of two different books, no. but you know, the two different audiences. Yeah. Very good. I like that. So your, your kids that are about the right age for this. So let's say you and Aaron are going on vacation. You're making a long journey. I know you like the, I know you at least have a reason to go to Louisville, Kentucky, because I've seen you talk about white castle, but so we're not going to have white castle in this equation. So you got to put that aside. Why not? It, it makes everything better. You know what? White Castle. It's a good day. You'd appreciate this. I have one a mile from my house. Uh, and I'm jealous. If you looked at my gut, you'd say, yeah, he's been there a few times. So you and Aaron and the kids get in a car. You're heading to Louisville, Kentucky. Let's say you're driving. If you're anything like us, like it just happened uh, last week, we're on vacation in Tennessee. And one of your kids has to go to the bathroom like 15 minutes sooner than you thought the stop would be. So you're like, if you're like me, you're like, man, there's no way I'm making another stop 15 minutes from now. We're eating now. So your options are, and again, I'm sorry, White Castle's not one of them. You get McDonald's on the sign, Chick-fil-A, and In-N-Out Burger. Where is Team Rainer? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. Easy, easy, easy. McDonald's. Really? Chick-fil-A is so overrated. And hear me out. It's good. I love the story of the company. I'm glad to support the company. But it's I don't like fried chicken. I'm just, I'm just not a fan. So I, I love McDonald's cheeseburger, no onions, double, double pickles, extra pickles. Wow. 
You, you didn't even give In-N-Out Burger a shot there. What happened? You had to have traveled and had. I've, I don't even. I, I don't even know if I've ever had an In-N-Out. Burger. Really? Yeah. Well, I'm, and I'm sure it's good too. Like I'm, I'm all about the fast food. Hear me out. If somebody's like, I really want to go to Chick Fil A, I'd be like, that's fine. Like I'm not against Chick Fil A, yeah. so I, I know, I know that puts me in a strong minority when it comes to the church crowd. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a big McDonald's fan. I, I think, I think that they have like the fries, the burger. They got the, you know the filet of fish. Like, mm-hmm. and and I'm and I live in Florida, so we get incredible seafood here. But I think their whole menu, their whole lineup, it's 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 solid. Just solid. I will say, I just went to McDonald's a couple weeks ago, got a fish fillet. I thought, dang, that thing is not with the size it used to be. They've shrunk that thing up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you're seeing the prices go up. And then, and then McDonald's coffee is some of the best that's out there. I actually buy the tub <laughs> of McDonald's coffee, like the kind you can buy for your house okay. and you can do the drip coffee. Okay. That's what I get. Wow. So I'm, I am a big McDonald's fan. And I know not everyone is, and that's okay. And all and Chick-fil-A is doing extraordinarily well So, um, in terms of being a company, and I'm certainly supportive of them. But if I have a choice, yeah, you, you made me – you put me in a corner. Wow. So I'd you got it. You, came, you, you were almost as passionate there as you were when we were talking about negativity and, and hope and whatnot. So, <laughs> so here's one for you, Sam. What movie, when you stumble across it – let's say you're flipping channels, you're doing a streaming thing, you're maneuvering around, and you stumble across movie X – it gets you every time hook, line, and sinker. You're not moving on. What movie would that be? I don't – oh, man. I don't really watch movies all that much. And the movies that I watch with my – you know, I'm watching movies with my kids, so they're not movies that are very moving. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say – and this take this is way back. So I would say Gladiator is a really good one for me. And, and you know, it's been so long since I've been to them. I mean, I, I like James Bond. I'm a big James Bond fan, but that's – I'm not going to – tear up when when i watch that so sure. i'm more in the action slapstick you know i, I don't really want to watch a movie to to feel sappy and crying and teary-eyed yeah. and all of that now blazing saddles that's more my jam yeah i, if hear I have to pick them if i have to pick one movie to watch for the rest of my life and that's the that's only it. movie Blazing saddles okay okay there you go you know, i still haven't seen it. i need to see that sometime okay last oh my one. goodness yeah it is so inappropriate in every sort of way. It is not pastor recommended, yeah. but it is incredibly far ahead of its time. And the jokes are, they still ring true and it could never be written today. See, I guess and, I can, and that's what I love about it. I guess I can say this cause you crushed Chick-fil-A the way you did, but um, I'm that way with like curb your enthusiasm. I love, I think Larry David is, is genius. Obviously Seinfeld was great, but I'm I'm pretty geeked out about curb your enthusiasm, and you know some people would say I should lose my ordainment for that, but um, you know <laughs> I, I'll go with you there. It's it, it's Larry David's just brilliant, and he. he I, I tell you what, w- watching somebody like manufacture the perfect watch on YouTube—that's what gets me teary-eyed. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there you go. That's some funny stuff. Well, hey, of these five questions, here's the most important one. So, Sam, who was your first celebrity crush? Oh man. Okay, so this this is bad. What what kind of question is that, Jeff? Uh, Alicia Silverstone, because she was in oh, the videos. And, and again, you're talking, you're, uh, you put me back into my middle school boy mindset, which is not a healthy place for me to be. Wow. So, yeah, I would have to say Alicia, first crush, like weird sort of, yeah. you know, puppy love sort of thing where you're oh th- there's a woman uh, y- yeah. yes I and yeah I would say Alicia Silverstone. So if we were playing the newlywed game, would Aaron have gotten that right? I don't know. Probably not. Okay. Probably not. 
Now, what would be fascinating is to ask her that question. Well, I was going to say, I don't, did, I don't know the, I don't know the oh, answer. Oh, you don't know? Either. Okay. I don't know her, who her crush would be. Why don't you text her while I'm asking you a couple more questions? Let's get Aaron's answer. I've never done that before. Let's ask the. If I text my wife, she'll respond like in three days. So. <laughs> Uh, are we? My wife's name's Kara. It's not Aaron, but I, I can kind of relate to that a little bit. So the celebrity crush question I love because if you knew nothing about somebody else, you would know a lot about them based on an answer kind of when they grew up. Like for me, and I've had multiple people say this if they're close to my age, Elizabeth Shue, obviously Karate Kid, um, Adventures in Babysitting, Cobra Kai more recently since she came back on that for part of a season, and then Maureen McCormick, who was Marsha Brady. So if you're my age, oh, yeah. those are a couple of answers you have to go with. So, hey, we're winding down. I had a, a good friend mentor years ago tell me, and I was single at the time, but he said, Jeff, he talked about his wife, and he's a very charismatic, he did Young Life, does Young Life, he was on Young Life staff, and just the life of the party, great, like love Jesus, everything about him drew you in. And he told me, Jeff, he goes, whatever you're about with your wife, Make sure anything and everything she does seems more important than anything and everything you do. Now, I guess you could take that to an extreme or whatever, but what do you think about something like that? We've joked and referenced Aaron a couple times on here, but when you think about your wife, how does that philosophy or, or state of thought have implications? What do you think about that? I, th I think the spirit of the statement is good. It's just kind of like a proverb, right? It's a general, it's general wisdom. You know, any specific case, you know, it, it gets you know, that's not the point of a proverb. So I think as in terms of general wisdom and a posture of the way that you live your life, I, I like the idea that your wife is your priority above your ministry. Even though there's a lot of meshing together all, of all of that, I, I think that your wife does need to feel that she is most important. And I think that if she doesn't, then that's a problem. And, you know, either she has unreasonable expectations or you're not living the way that you need to live. And it's probably a, if you're struggling with that, it, it's probably some combination of the both. And it's something that you need to deal with in your marriage. So I would say that the spirit of the statement is good. And I, I certainly would hope to live that way myself. Mm, amen. Amen. Let me ask you one last question and then be thinking through where people can be finding you. Uh, church answers obviously is one of them, but what is the church of 2022 need to get right if we miss everything else, what's like the one thing you would say? And obviously there's not one, but if you had to nail down one thing, what do we need to get right in 2022? Evangelism. I mean, this is, this is the great struggle of the North American church. Now we could talk globally and there are churches that are doing this well in other parts of the world, but the North American church is just absolutely terrible at evangelism. And a lot of times your problems in the church will be resolved if you resolve the issue of evangelism, meaning your church isn't doing it and you need to equip your people to do it. If you're sharing Christ on a regular basis, a lot of the other problems go away. Mm -hmm. So I can pick one thing. And I would say that any pastor anywhere, if you've got a struggling church, what do I do? Yeah. Evangelism. Amen. We're starting at our church, Alpha, tomorrow night, and my wife and I are most of our small group is signed up to do that. So I'm excited to go back to an old school thing that's, at least in Europe, I hear in England, really gaining traction again and kind of getting rebooted and yada, yada, yada. Bring it back. Yeah. Amen. Bring it back. I mean, we, we canceled all these programs because we thought that they were uncool and they didn't work. And you know what? Some of them were uncool and a lot of them didn't work. But then we didn't replace it with anything else. Mm. We, we, we canceled all these evangelism programs. The church just stopped doing evangelism. And then we wonder, like, why aren't, why aren't we seeing more people come to Christ? Mm. It's because you're not sharing Jesus. Well, I don't, know, I don't know how to share Jesus. It's because we canceled the program that taught you how to share Jesus. Mm. So 
I would say, yeah, even if it's hokey, it's better than nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Better, better that your people be out there struggling through some sort of hokey evangelism presentation than not doing it at all. I would say bring it back. Bring back the evangelism. I don't care how it comes back in the church. Let's yeah. bring it back. Well, we can't complain about that. Like, I got my Panera cup here. I was at Panera this morning, but we can always be getting to know, know the name of our teller, of the girl who serves us coffee, of the guy who, you know, waits on us at, you know, whatever, McDonald's, since you like, we're giving McDonald's some love, whatever. I mean, there's plenty of places. We, we never have an, we have an endless stream of people we can be reaching. So, Sam, if people want to know more about you, I'm obviously connected to you on Facebook, but there's other places, church answers, whatever. Give us the list of where people can connect with you and find out more about what you're up to. Yeah, to just I would encourage everyone to go to churchanswers.com and just check us out there. 95% of the resources we produce are free. So we produce podcasts, articles, uh, other, you know, ebooks, you know, there's a there's a ton of stuff that we're putting out there to help the local church. And so the model of our business, and it is a business and I'm not afraid to say that, but the model of our business is let's give away as much as we possibly can and keep the business sustainable. So I w- I would say go to churchanswers.com. Obviously, if you're interested in subscribing, we have many more things that we can offer to our subscribers. You can click on the little join button and see what we offer there. Uh, but if you're just interested in some free resources, uh, you know, you know, s- some church health issues. I mean, goodness, we've got my dad. We've got Chuck Lawless. We've got a ton of great content that's out there that is available for free. So churchanswers.com is by far the best place to, to check things out. Very cool. I did not tell you earlier that a year ago or in last season, we had Chuck Lawless on an episode. So he was great as well and, and uh, doing some great stuff as your tag team partner. So, hey, uh, as we close, Sam, I expect the text in three days telling me what Aaron's celebrity crush was. So make sure uh, <laughs> we don't want to leave that left here. We want to follow up on that. And I want to know the answer to that question. So, hey, you've been great. Look forward to uh, dialoguing more in the future. And I, I guess go all teams Tampa and have a good time with the lightning game this week. Take care. Thank you for joining us on the Pinkleton Pull Aside podcast. You can reach Jeff at gatheringmiamivalley.org or find us on Facebook at The Gathering of the Miami Valley. Join us again next week for another honest and rich conversation. The Rise FM Podcast Network.